So are we tempting fate by inviting the suck fairy to visit us? <laughs> I am just going to let that sentence linger in the minds of our audiences who don't know what the suck fairy is. Well, I tell you about a food heist. Okay. Are you ready for this? Are I you excited? Am ready. I'm so excited. It is a rad one. Can you see my mouth? <laughs> I am excited. Okay. So there was a massive wine heist in a restaurant in Spain. Okay. Yeah. And they take their wine very seriously in Spain. So. Yes. Well, in all of Europe. And most mm-hmm. of this was French wine. Yes. It was a restaurant called Atrio okay. in a city called Caser. Mm-hmm. Or Caceres, maybe, is how mm-hmm. you're supposed to say this. I don't know. Anyway, somebody stole 45 bottles of wine. Okay. Which not very many. Not know. very many, mm-hmm. but it's so expensive. This wine was so valuable that the owner of the restaurant hasn't even bothered to total it up. But one of them, I looked up, and it is a Chateau de Chem from 1806. This is a 215-year-old bottle of wine that all by itself is valued at just over $400,000. Wow. So these people who took 45, assuming that's the most expensive one, we're still looking at well over a million, possibly $2 million, Mm. right? And the wine they took is so rare that the guy who runs the restaurant, the one who was robbed, he says that this was almost certainly two people who were hired by a special collector because there's no way you could sell this on the secondary market because Mm -hmm. it's all registered, it's numbered. Like that 1806 Chateau de Chem is one of like single digit bottles worldwide that's still around. Everyone knows it belongs to him. Right, it's like trying to offload the Mona Lisa. I have the most valuable painting in the world. Great. Great, no one will buy it from you. Mm -hmm. Well, no one will buy it from you openly. So it was a couple that stayed in the hotel. This restaurant is part of a hotel, two Michelin star restaurant, very fancy hotel. The couple were English speakers, okay. man and a woman. And this is where it gets ridiculous because the restaurant owner keeps talking about how this had to have been like a planned job. They clearly knew what they were doing. They were mm-hmm. experts. They were hired to come and do this specifically. But the way they did it is the woman asked for some food in the middle of the night. And for some reason, the security guard was the one who got it for her, which meant no one was watching the cameras. And the guy was able to slip into the wine cellar and grab 45 bottles of wine and get back out again. How did they know that the security guard was the one that delivered the food? I wonder if that happened consistently. And so they were able to plan this. Maybe. Yeah. And so all of the articles about it talk about how they just packed the bottles into their luggage, Mm -hmm. they checked out, and then they left with suitcases filled with wine. And I don't know how they know that. Mm -hmm. They do know apparently exactly who did it. So they must have seen them on the security camera that nobody was watching at the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you have $400,000 bottles of wine in your cellar, I feel like you can afford both a security guard and a waiter. Yes, that's true. That's (laughs) true. Like, it seems to me that there's some major security holes that were easily exploited. And so I kind of want to believe the restaurateur who says this was a really professional job. But on the Mm -hmm. other hand, 
Why is your security guard Why delivering dinner? Why is your security yeah. guard delivering dinner in the middle of the night? Yeah. So anyway, I think that is a really fascinating story, and I love it. I do kind of like that story. That's yeah. that's great. Makes me think I need to make sure to always lock up my magic cards. <laughs> not not worth that much, but they're in a briefcase. Yeah. Which is a little bit easier. Which is easy than, to carry. Yeah. And if somebody comes to your house and asks for food and yeah. Adam has to get it. And then my magic cards wander off. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe I need maybe I need to do that. Yeah. So watch out for couples speaking English. <laughs> um, so the suck fairy. The suck fairy. The suck fairy. Now that you've been tantalized for a while, suck fairy references a Joe Walton article on tour.com, which talks about the experience. Of going back and re-experiencing media, particularly books, that you loved when you were young. Mm -hmm. And finding out that they've been visited by a magical being. Who who, has made them terrible. Who has made them terrible when they used to be wonderful. And they they obviously were. And Mm -hmm. something has happened. It's not that they were always terrible and you had... Clearly not. In many cases, these are formative works. Books that inspired you, movies that you loved... And then you go back and it didn't used to be that bad. Yeah, yeah they, they changed it. It's like a Berenstain Bears sort of thing, right? It's a Mandela <laughs> effect where you've been teleported to an alternate dimension where everything is the same except for except the fact. the universe I came from. Yes. The cartoon Tiger Sharks was really, really neat. Tiger Sharks? Did you never watch Tiger Sharks? No, I watched Street Sharks. No one's ever watched Tiger Sharks. Tiger Sharks was the same company that did Thundercats and Silverhawks. Mm -hmm. Tiger Sharks was their water version of the same idea. Okay, yeah. Right? Big submarine that goes around and there's people who pass through this portal in the bottom and it turns them into like fish people. Okay. And it was really good when I watched it as a child and the Suck Fairy fairy just brutalized it. It It was not pretty. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to not just be talking about bad works. Let's make it clear. <laughs> we're just going to be talking about those formative things. Formative things. Formative Some things. Some of which have been visited by the Suck Fairy, but others have not. Yeah. What is the first book you can remember having read to you? And what's the first book you can remember reading on your own? Okay. Um, Are we talking about chapter book? Or are we talking about anything that um, I can, read on my own? You can go either way. Like mine, the first one I remember reading on my own was a book called Klutz with periods. It's about a klutzy robot. Okay. And it was not a full chapter book, I don't believe. Hmm. I can't remember being read any books as a kid. Yeah. And so I don't remember, don't have that voice. Like I can remember being in my dad's lap and him reading me a book, but I don't know what book it was. See, my parents read to us all the time, mm-hmm. and I remember very clearly The Hobbit, and I remember the first three Narnia books. Okay. And so it's probably going to be The Hobbit, the first one I remember being read to me. Okay. The first book I remember reading on my own is very probably, I'm going to discount poetry collections in this. Okay. And we'll get to that later. But I didn't expect this to be as hard a question as it is. <laughs> well, it's because I'm trying to remember the name of it, and I can't. And I often have, because there is a lot of spiritual DNA from this book mm-hmm. in my Zero-G series. Okay. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to write middle-grade science fiction is because when I was a kid, I read this book of middle-grade science fiction, and it mm-hmm. was basically 
a kid who lived in like a deep sea exploration station with his dad, who was a scientist. And they had these cool little rebreather things. And they uncovered this ancient kind of deep sea organism thing. And I don't know. It was a really fun story. I wish I could remember the name of it or the title. I've actually been looking for a couple of years to someone, find it. Someone will find it for you. And I hope someone does because mm-hmm. I would love to, you know, contact that author and thank them for inspiring me. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool. And it was neat stuff. What is the first book or book series you can remember really like clicking with in a, this is my thing? Do this you know is what I'm my thing? About? Yeah. yeah. So I have two answers to that. Mm-hmm. And the first one is the Pern books by okay. Anne McCaffrey, which I read in sixth grade. I was fortunate enough to have a sixth grade teacher who assigned us to read Dragon Song. Okay. Which I thought mm-hmm. was awesome. And, you know, within the yeah. next month, I had read that whole trilogy and Dragonflight and like the whole first mm-hmm. six Pern books. Right. And really took off. And I thought, oh, okay, I get this now. This is amazing. But if I had to pick one that clicked for me in a way that nothing else had, I'm going to say it was The Sword Books by Fred Saberhagen. Okay. Because mm-hmm. that is the first book series I found myself. Okay. It was not read to me, it was not assigned by a parent or a teacher. I came across it in a library, Salt Lake Avenue's library. And it was the first book of swords by Fred Saberhagen and just changed my life completely. Those are good books. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, I haven't read them <laughs> since I was a teenager, actually. Mm-hmm. I think Harriet might have worked on those books. I really? can't remember. Were those ace books or tour books? Ooh, I want to say they were rock, but but yeah. I don't actually know. Adam, I own most of the books up. of Lost Swords. Uh-huh. I've got the whole... Sword Trilogy, Most of the Lost Swords. I've got Empire mm-hmm. of the East, which is arguably my favorite fantasy novel of all time. Okay. And I actually wrote a huge thing about the sword books and Saberhagen in general for Tor.com a few years ago. Great, which means you probably reread them. And I did, and they hold up. And there's no suck fairy here. Yeah. I think they had just some of the coolest mythology, right? Because mm-hmm. this is another, if I remember right, this is another, like Pern, Lost Colony Earth sort of thing. It is not Lost Colony. It is Earth post-apocalypse. Okay, so it's more like sort of Shannara. Yeah. One of the really cool things, I'm going to spoil this because it's yeah. amazing. So the Empire of the East is mm-hmm. the first book that kind of yeah. sets up the sword books. And the idea there is that a nuclear bomb was going to go off and end all life on Earth. Mm-hmm. This was the 80s. Everything was about nuclear war at some level. And so what somebody did basically flipped a switch and the god Ardna itself was a computer program it's eventually revealed that changed the laws of physics so that certain elements of technology did not work and magic did okay and that happened during the nuclear explosion and converted the nuclear explosion into a demon who then was the major bad guy for most of the rest of the series. You know, that explains a whole lot about that series that I had not read. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that series and being a teenager and just being like, wow, this is really cool because these names of these gods, these are the Greek gods, Mm -hmm. but I think they're just regular people or something related to our world. And I got out of it because I think I only read the first three. I got out of it as a kid. I'm like, I think this is a far future science fiction world where some people from our world with advanced technology found humans living and are like, oh, 
we might as well be gods to these people. Who are you going to be? <laughs> I, I think I'll be Pluto or Vulcan. Yeah, they, um, they've got these cool stories about Persephone. I'm yeah. going to pick her. Yeah. Which may have been what it was. Mm-hmm. I suspect that what was going on is just that, you know, the kind of the classic idea that belief created divinity. Right. But more than any other single author, I can point my entire career back at Fred Saberhagen. Okay. And in hindsight, I think it is obvious, though I did not realize this at the time, that my constant genre hopping mm-hmm. is kind of me reproducing Saberhagen's career. If he was able to do the sword books and the Berserker books and yeah. the Dracula books and all of whatever he wanted to do, why not? Why not jump around and do the same thing? I'm really glad those hold up. I should give those a reread as an adult. Just because some of those those classic masters mm-hmm. really were doing fascinating, cool stuff with the lore of the genre and things like this that I don't think I grasp. Like I read Thomas Covenant as a teenager. Yeah. And I remember reading Thomas Covenant and being like, okay, this is over my head. <laughs> but I think a lot of the other ones, like Saberhagen, I mm-hmm. didn't recognize it was over my head. I'm just like, hey, they've got a magic sword that can kill anybody. But then the sword falls down and whoever grabs it can use yeah. it. And mm-hmm. Far Slayer. That's, that's really dangerous if you kill him. The nearest people to him are probably going to be people who will then want you dead. Yeah. And just that single idea is a really cool single sentence magic system idea. Mm-hmm. And they're packed. Those books are oh, packed yeah. with those ideas. And his ability to spin those off. And I mean, that's what the books of Lost Swords are. Yeah. Is let's tell Farslayer's story. Mm. What happens when this gets into the hands of like the two feuding families that hate each other? Yeah. And he's able to turn that into a whole thing. I will say, I don't think the sword books were over your head at all. Okay. I think you're going to read them and they do read much more juvenile okay. than I remember. Okay. They, so they, it's just they, the world building. I didn't quite get to the books that would explain the things that I need to know. Because I got to those in Pern and eventually yeah. figured out Pern. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm going to go backward in age to the okay. first book series that ever clicked with me, which I have not tried again and I wouldn't try again. These were not meant for a 45-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the three investigators novels. Did Ooh. you ever read those? No, but I have heard all about them. I know Stacy Whitman was a huge fan of these and has talked my ear off a couple I times. I was an enormous fan of these. And looking back, they're off-brand Hardy Boys, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, that's not what they were. The big selling point, if you haven't read these, they're like teenager, well, younger than teenager, tween yeah. mystery solvers, right? Mm-hmm. Old standby formula, except Alfred Hitchcock is a character. And at oh, that okay. age, yes, Alfred Hitchcock is their friend. He's like their, their Professor mentor. X? Yes, he's their Professor X sort okay. of thing. They meet Alfred Hitchcock, and it's kind of like this is, I can't remember if they're like Hitchcockers, Hitchcocks, uh, three investigators, <laughs> um, or if they just used him as a character. If he was like, you know, Spielberg was in Tiny Toons and things like that because mm-hmm. he was executive producer, they would put him in yeah. to Animaniacs. And if it was something like that, or if it's just like they got to meet him, but in my head, I'm like, these were produced by Alfred Hitchcock. I know he didn't write them because his name's not on the cover, but, yeah. you know, this Involved is serious in some way. fiction yes. for second graders, you know. <laughs> As a second grader. And they they had a secret base in a junkyard. And you had to go in through secret ways. And then it's in the middle of a big pile of junk. But then there's a secret base in there that they can use to solve crimes and things like that. That's awesome. I really wanted to be 
a crime solver when I was in second grade. I got my friends together and we decided to start our own detective agency and got name oh, cards nice. printed. Really? Yeah. We call them business cards in English. In Korean Young Com, they're name cards. And so I always use that okay. word. But yes, they got business cards printed and then no mysteries came our direction. Really? We were very surprised as second I mean, and did third you graders. contact Alfred Hitchcock and see you know, if he had we, anything for you? We didn't know him, but we just assumed once you know it was happening, we would find, you know. Once you had the yeah. name cards. Yeah. The that there would be like a kidnapping at our school or, mm-hmm. you know, bullet casings would be found or, you know, there would be a weird talking minor bird that left weird clues for us to follow to a haunted mansion. Yeah. Never happened. Never happened. Yeah. And that's such a standard genre mm-hmm. of middle grade, right? Like Encyclopedia yeah. Brown yep. and Three Investigators. And there was the one I read several books of as a kid, and I can't remember any of them, except that the guy was an artist. Mm. And his gimmick was that he would sketch the crime scene and that subconsciously he would call out the clues and then you as the reader had to look at the page with the picture on it. And oh, go, that's oh, clever. Oh, well, there's like keys here. So that yeah. means whatever. That's smart. Um, I like yeah. that. And so it was a fun series and I liked mm-hmm. it. It's funny to me that, funny but not surprising, and I, mm-hmm. I imagine it's common, that that inspired you to be a detective because I bet so much of what you read as a kid was... Yeah, obviously 12-year-olds are going to be solving murders all the time. Yeah, they just do. Well, not that many murders, right? They they always find them that they were alive. It mm-hmm. was a murder investigation, but they're just fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hardy Boys and yes. Nancy Drew and mm-hmm. even Scooby-Doo, that's yeah. just kids solving crimes all over the place. Yep, so that was the first one. And then kind of, this has become the Brandon Sanderson origin story, right? I tell mm-hmm. this story all the time. That was the last series I liked. After that, I fell into disliking, I just didn't read, third through seventh grade. Kept getting books that bored me and things like that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my side of the mountain and where the red fern grows and things like this, it just didn't work for me. Stuff that your parents read and wanted you to read. Yes, or my teachers and my parents were not book readers. But still, the boomer generation and those books. Yeah. You know, and the trouble is that we're doing the same thing. Mm, Yeah, we're giving them Ender's Game and being like, isn't this great? Isn't this awesome? Well, and even like, I love Ender's Game. Mm -hmm. I really love Robin McKinley. Yeah. Modern kids bounce off of Robin McKinley. I kind of bounced off Robin McKinley a little bit, but then then loved Robin McKinley. Hero in the Crown, Blue Sword. Those are two of my favorite books growing up. I bounced off of Hero in the Crown, read Blue Sword, loved it, came back and loved Hero in the Crown. I think actually that's what I did as well. Mm -hmm. And when my daughter finished Harry Potter and was just voraciously, you know, looking for more stuff to read, I gave her Hero Mm -hmm. in the Crown and she just could not get through it. And it's a different writing style. Yep. But, you know, my origin myth goes to the eighth grade teacher who gave me Dragon's Bane. Mm -hmm. But there's a little bit of a lie in there. Okay. Uh, It's a simplification because there's actually two books I read in between third grade or Mm -hmm. second grade and eighth grade that really left an impact on me. Okay. First is The Hobbit. I did read The Hobbit. There you go. And I did really like The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. And then I tried Lord of the Rings and I just bounced so hard off of Lord of the Rings, right? Could not get into it. And so I'm like, "Ah, I guess this isn't my thing. But there's one more book in there and it's Dragon's Blood by Jane Yolen. You know, I read a Jane Yolen in fifth grade Mm -hmm. and absolutely adored it. And I can't remember what it was. And it surprises me all the time that I never went back and looked for more of hers. Yeah, I read that book. 
I liked The Hobbit, but the first book I can remember ever truly deeply loving was Dragon's Blood. Hmm. And it's the classic boy finds a dragon egg story. Yeah. But for my generation, it's Aragon. It's How to Train Your Dragon. It's the White Dragon from Anne McCaffrey. Yeah. And it was my version of that. But what happened is for some reason or another, that didn't spark me to go find books like it. I read this book and loved that book and read it like three or four times Mm -hmm. and then didn't keep reading. And and I did the same thing in fifth grade. Uh And I wonder if it was that idea of... I was not yet my own gatekeeper for fiction. Yeah, maybe when that's I was what that it old. is. You didn't think of, oh, I'm going to go find more books at the bookstore like this. For whatever reason, yeah. I didn't think that. I didn't look for more Jane Yolen. I didn't even, it was the first of a series and it was a book about a girl who trains as a knight by pretending to be a boy and, you know, doing all of this stuff. So again, somebody in the comments will tell me what book this was because I can't remember what it was. But it never even occurred to me to look up the next book in the series, mm-hmm. like the next time I went to the library. I read everything my parents had on the shelves at home and then eventually found, like I said, Saberhagen in the library and that was that. But that was not until sixth grade and okay. maybe the summer after sixth grade. Okay. So, so I discovered with Dragon's Bane fantasy mm-hmm. and really became into my own. And the next series I read was Anne McCaffrey. Yeah. So we share that sort of DNA that Anne McCaffrey was pretty foundational. Mm-hmm. And the other one that I read at that time was Melanie Ron. Did you ever read Melanie Ron? I have never read Melanie Ron. And you have told me to read Melanie Ron and I haven't. I have said how much <laughs> I love Melanie Ron. I feel like Melanie Ron will really hold up well, but I haven't read it in about 10 or 15 years now. Okay. But I have read it as an adult. And mm-hmm. that one, her writing did hold up to me. Oh, that's good. And I have read Dragon's Bane as an adult and Anne McCaffrey as an adult. All of them have held up. Mm-hmm. Are there series that you loved that the Suck Fairy has visited? That the Suck Fairy has visited. Book-wise? Mm-hmm. Let's see. When I was trying to get my kids to read, like I said, I gave them Robin McKinley. Mm-hmm. And I went back. And it's not the Suck Fairy in McKinley's mm-hmm. case. Like, I can tell that this is still good. It was just the slow fairy came by i don't know what the the, the what, 80s fantasy fairy yeah but like dragon song mm-hmm. i read that in like two hours because so i'm like here morgan read this and she didn't read it and so i read it that night and it was every bit as good as i remember I'm trying to think what is a, a book series that so, i went back to i feel bad about this one okay did you ever read bob aspirin myth adventures yes i did I read Bob Asprin voraciously when I was younger. I read one. Oh, man. I read every one of those. I read The Fool's Company, which was his other series, which is basically the same thing except in space. I read all the Myth Adventures. I read when he split Myth Adventures into two series, which was about the protagonist and about the side characters. They all got their separate series. And I was just way, way, way into those, just so excited. And after, when I got to college, I got into Terry Pratchett and mm. read a bunch of Pratchett, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I want to go share this book series that's really funny from when I was a kid because the Myth Adventures are comedies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like to my wife, hey, we were doing read-alouds at that time. I'm like, hey, let's read this one out of my collection. These are hilarious. We lasted like four pages. <laughs> the jokes were so bad. Now, okay. So, well, I mean, it was pun-based humor, if I remember, a lot That's, of them. It, was, it wasn't it was Piers Anthony level. Was Myth Adventures the one 
I remember reading and just adoring a book that I think was Aspirin about a princess who'd been captured by a dragon, ended up just becoming friends with the dragon. No, no, that's dealing to... with dragons. Um, okay. I've read that. That's Patricia Reedy. That yeah, really holds up. It is YA, go. but that book's great. So the myth adventures, and maybe if I tried it again, I would be okay, right? <laughs> maybe it's just because I was coming off of a Pratchett high, and there is no comparing to Pratchett. Yeah. With the exception of Hitchhiker's Guide, right? But, Dry British comedies. Yes. Um, now, Aspirin did a lot of his writing with Jodie Lynn Nye. Yes. And I have read some of her modern stuff. That I really is like not it. the jokey yeah. kid fantasy. Mm-hmm. I really love what she is doing and still occasionally collaborating with Bob, I think. but um, I think he may have passed away. Oh, you're right. But yeah. So, the, I mean, the premise is really funny. It's the story of the really powerful mentor wizard who mm-hmm. gets hit by a prank joke spell that removes his magical powers for like 15 years or something, mm-hmm. which is nothing to the immortal life of a wizard, but it's super inconvenient. And so he has to use this young apprentice and teach him magic in order to get off the stupid little medieval plan he's been stuck on. Yeah. Things like that. But I just could not handle it. <laughs> so, you know, the book, I've got one now. Mm-hmm. There's a middle grade book called Skinny Bones. Okay. Did you ever read that one? I did not. Not fantasy or science fiction. It's mm-hmm. just about a kid who like plays baseball and stuff. And I remember as a kid thinking that was absolutely the funniest thing in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing where I ended up reading the entire thing out loud to my brother mm-hmm. and to my aunt who drove us to school every day just because every line in it was so funny I couldn't not mm-hmm. share this with everyone around me. And so last year when, you know, we were homeschooling our children for a few months because everything shut down, I made sure to order that one from mm-hmm. Amazon and made this part of our curriculum. And it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it was not hilarious. It was occasionally funny. Mm-hmm. But whatever it was that had got me just, you know, knee slapping, it was not. So here's remotely. here's a question, though. Our society tends to look down on things that children enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Yeah. Is it like, I look back at the myth adventures, the fact that I love them as a kid, they were genuinely hilarious to me as a kid and my sense of humor has changed. Yeah. Did that mean they get visited by the suck fairy or does that just mean, you know what? He was really good at writing for a teenage audience. Yeah. And that humor that I had at that age, that he was a genius of connecting and clicking with me, like my kids love the Plants vs. Zombies comic books. The whole okay. series of them. I didn't uh, know written they by had those. Paul Tobin, I think. And I think the humor is pretty cringeworthy, but they love it. And mm-hmm. their love of it makes me say, this author knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. It is perfectly targeted an 11 year old. He will read them over and over and over. My nine year old, my 11 year old just uproariously laugh. Well, and and it's the same thing with the Captain Underpants guy and his new series about the dogs or whatever. I legit, not ironically, love Dogman. Really? (laughs) I have never read any of them. I will read, when my kids get a new Dogman book, I will actually read it. Now, it's it's young, right? Mm -hmm. But there's so much charm packed into those books with the way he draws them as if they were drawn by the kids in the Captain Underpants books like Dogman is their comic book oh that they they create create. and so it's drawn and it has spelling errors intentional and the cross out and is done it's it's a little axe copish 
okay. on purpose, right? It's mm -hmm. like, what would their age kids find super awesome? That's why he's dog man. An uh, explosion blew up and was going to kill the cop and his dog, but they saved him by sewing the dog's head on the cop's body because the cop's head was dying and the dog's body was dying. And then everyone celebrates and makes dog man the superhero. And there's just <laughs> just enough Axe Cop, just enough complete randomness mm -hmm. that I legit enjoy those. That's awesome. So, but I do think, to your point, yeah, that a case could be made that those old books like Skinny Bones or mm -hmm. Myth Adventures, they were not visited by the Suck Fairy. At some point, we were. We right? were visited by the Cynicism Fairy or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. that we have lost that childlike sense of wonder. And I absolutely especially as an author of middle grade fiction, yeah. I don't think that there's anything wrong with writing books that cater to children. Children um, are people. Yeah, just because I as an adult don't think Skinny Bones is as funny as it used to be right. doesn't mean it's bad. It was 100% right. one of my favorite books of all time. And so, yeah, that is an audience and it is not wrong to write for that audience. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mm -hmm. earlier mentioned that I was going to talk about poetry anthologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because as a kid, you know, some of the main books that I read before I was really at chapter book level mm -hmm. was Shel Silverstein, okay. Jack Perletsky, A.A. Milne, mm -hmm. Poems for Children. The Christopher Robin poems by A.A. Milne. I've said this all over the place. I've read to the point of destruction two copies of that book, and I'm working on a third one now. Okay. And it was that book more than anything else that made me want to be a writer. That's when you said portrait collections, my mind went to Shakespeare. It should, of course, <laughs> gone to where the sidewalk ends. Yeah. Do kids these days read where the sidewalk ends? My kids like, do. That was omnipresent mm -hmm. in my childhood experience. Everyone read that yeah. one and lied in the attic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone that you knew had memorized at least one. I can still quote yeah. a couple of them to you. There's too many kids in this tub. I know that one. It's short. All of that stuff is just brilliant. Yeah. And we all read it as kids. And I don't know what the modern... I have to assume there's modern poetry for kids, right? Right. I haven't seen any. I buy books for my kids all the time. And I feel like that's odd. I mean, Dr. Seuss is his own thing, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if you would count Dr. Seuss as poetry for kids, I mean, it's definitely poetry. It's definitely poetry, but not in the like poetry collection sense yes. that Sidewalk Ends is. It's more like narratives in poetic form, a lot yeah. of them. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know that there is anything in the modern. Maybe our comments can tell us yeah. what it is. I, but... I would love to have a recommendation for whatever the modern Shel Silverstein is. Someone who is incredibly good with rhythm and rhyme and imagery and also has a very subversive view of the world. Yeah. Do you remember as a kid ever having the experience, you talked about tiger sharks. Mm -hmm. Do you remember growing out of cartoons? Yes. Mm -hmm. I remember, I mean, not at a specific event, but I remember kind of the year uh -huh. in which I realized that I had better things to do with my Saturday morning than watch cartoons. Because Saturday morning cartoons used to be the thing. Yeah. That isn't now because kids can just binge whatever they want, mm -hmm. whenever they want. But for us growing up, it was Saturday morning and they had this and this and this and all in a row. And a lot of it for me, like I remember Voltron mm -hmm. came out in the mornings, weekdays. 
and I always wanted to watch it because my friends at school watched it and I couldn't because I had to take like an hour long bus ride to get to school. And also my parents never let us watch cartoons in the weekdays. And at some point I realized that that didn't matter. That trying to catch Voltron before school and Robotech after school, those were the two that when I realized I wasn't as interested in those anymore, mm-hmm. is like, oh, okay, I guess I'm done with cartoons. And then all the Saturday morning stuff, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friends and all these things that I watched religiously just kind of stopped watching. Yeah, that's like one of my formative growing up moments. Now, those of you who are sitting and angrily typing right now, <laughs> by growing out of cartoons, I don't mean that there is not adult animation that is, you know, like, yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch your anime shows. Well, and I still watch anime. Yes. Which is very different, though, from kids' cartoons and specifically from yes. 80s kids' cartoons. And Dan and I are around the same age, and he knew instantly what I was talking about. During this era, we lived in the era where the regulation changes made during the Reagan administration, I believe I've got this right, but you mm-hmm. guys can fact check me, made it so that you could more easily and legally market to children. And so a large number of lowest common denominator children's cartoons intended to sell toys became the primary vehicle of kids' yeah. media enjoyment, right? Exactly. He-Man was yeah. literally based around toys. They made the toys first. Yes. The reason I, – I read this fascinating interview by one of the writers of the show. The reason that He-Man rides Battle Cat – yeah. Is because they didn't have any horse models in the right size. And they did have a like lion or tiger or whatever from a different toy line that was the right scale. And so one of the guys painted it green and stuck a saddle on it. And they're like, oh, okay, we can sell this. And that's where Battle Cat came from. And these shows are not good. These shows have absolutely <laughs> been stock varied. Like, yeah. I haven't seen a single one of these that even there's even a moment of nostalgia for when I watch it. Mm-hmm. Skeletor memes and things aside, those are very funny, but these things repeat so much animation, have oh, yeah. such lazy narratives and things like that. Well, and I never see this anymore in cartoons, mm-hmm. but the old thing where you could spot which piece of the rock was about to break because it was a different color than the matte painting that they were putting everything on top of. Yeah. And I can remember that same moment as you. It was a Saturday Mm -hmm. morning. It was actually a distinct moment for me. I was there with, you know, I'd gotten up early and I was going to watch my shows and it was actually Galaxy High I was watching. Okay. I don't remember that one. Yes. Galaxy High. Kids get to go to school in space. And I remember watching this show and being like, I think I just want to go back to bed. Why did I get up early? Getting up early stinks. Weekends I can sleep in. And I went back to bed. Yeah. And that was the change for me. It is interesting. You might be just the right age. I was just a little bit too old for the revolution that happened in the late 80s, early 90s, where they're like, what if we didn't make these as cheaply as humanly possible? And we actually put a little more effort into them and you had the Disney block start, which was kind oh. of the precursor mm-hmm. to what became the Tiny Toons Animaniacs block, which yeah. is what the I- Di- The yeah. Disney afternoon yeah. uh, that had DuckTales mm-hmm. and Tailspin and Darkwing Duck. Yes. And Rescue Rangers. Rescue Rangers was the mm-hmm. other one. 
Those were genuinely good shows. Were they? They were. Have you watched any? I have not. Okay. <laughs> they, um, they might very well have been suck fairied. Actually, I can tell you for sure that Tailspin has. Because mm. I went back to that one and I was like, wait a minute. This used to be the cool one. It's not the cool one anymore. But... Uh, maybe they all have. They led into... Batman the Animated Series, which I was too old for. School was going too late. Same. My brother was watching it mm-hmm. and kind of enjoying it. But I remember catching some episodes of that and just being like, angry. Angry that I had <laughs> He-Man and this and generation got, got Kevin yeah. Connolly being Batman in yeah. a really excellent way. I was actually just like, I got yeah. I got robbed. I got ripped off. Yeah, yeah that kind of transition, mid-90s. Yeah. I was... Junior high mm-hmm. when Tiny Toons, maybe high school when Tiny Toons okay. came out, and I hated Tiny Toons. Mm-hmm. I still do. I think it's terrible. Animaniacs, on the other hand, I thought was brilliant. I'm trying to remember if there's anything I really loved about Tiny Toons. I remember watching it, but Animaniacs had Pinky in the Brain. Yeah, and I well, mean and Chicken Boo, which is yes, the best of the anime. And and Animaniacs was aimed higher. Yes. It was aimed older, I should say. Mm-hmm. Tiny Toons was designed for people who were a little younger than us. Right. And I do think that that led into a lot of, you know, that animation revolution that kind of changed a lot of things. I was too old to watch, you know, the animated Batman, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, I missed most we, of those we completely. weren't, but we were in that age where we were teenagers, where I don't know if you had this, but when you're a teenager, you're very concerned about doing kids stuff. Right? I never really Were was. You? I was a little bit. Like, I was like, so when they shelved Anne McCaffrey in kids, because they my library didn't have a, a YA section yet. That mm-hmm. wasn't a thing in Nebraska. I was offended as a 15-year-old, <laughs> right? That I'm like, these are not kids' books. I read adult books. I read real books. Don't put them in the kids' Don't section. I'm not a kid. kid I mm-hmm. was a kid who prided myself on being weird and different. I uh-huh. was that kid. Right. And I think part of that might have been I went to an accelerated junior high that was part of a high school. So there were like 67th graders mm-hmm. in a high school. Okay. And so part of my self-identity was, yes, I'm a child and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And so even once I got into high school, doing childlike things wasn't like a big taboo for me the way it was for a lot of other people. What child are you among your your siblings? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. So I, I had a bit of that. And like Batman, I was like, I'm too old for cartoons, right? And I think that mm-hmm. did me a disservice because, but then the next generation got Avatar, right? Which yeah. as we've talked about, I haven't watched. It's awful that I haven't watched it, I know. Yeah, it's fine. But, you don't um, have to like it. But I can recognize that this is like another step up right? In quality of what people are providing Mm -hmm. targeted that age. At the same time, Mm -hmm. the 90s was the rise of the like dude bro cartoons. Yes, I remember when Simpsons did Mm -hmm. uh, Poochie the Dog and I thought that is a ridiculous caricature. No cartoon could possibly be like that until 20 years later, I watched Street Sharks and realized, oh, Poochie the Dog was a dead on satire of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the 90s were full of that, but I was old enough that I was no longer watching yeah. any of them. Well, that was that's Watchmen's fault, right? Watchmen's and the rise of the dark comics and everybody mm-hmm. being like, oh, what if we can do this for the younger generation and make them edgy and dark? It's the Sonic the Hedgehog philosophy of yeah. Mario is happy and light. 
Sonic's going to be edgy. It's going to be the edgy. This one. is radical. We're in the '90s. We do things that are edgy and radical. We yeah. put we put pouches and things on our comic <laughs> book characters, and they're dark and they brood. And, Four thousand teeth. Yeah. Now, but you said you did watch Street Sharks. Did you watch it in the '90s? No. Oh well, okay. no. I saw an episode in the '90s. Okay. I saw an episode. It's a joke. It's a meme, right? I was a huge turtle fan. I read the Eastman Laird comics. My first role-playing game nice. was TMNT and Other Strangeness. Same. And so when Turtles came out, I was very into Turtles. Mm-hmm. And that's when I watched longer, more as a teenager than some of the others, because it had that gritty, edgy background, even though the comic was lighthearted and fluffy. Yeah. The comics were gory and bloody. Now, and, yeah. did there was a Ninja Turtles special that came mm-hmm. out a few years ago that was like the Turtles multiverse where they had the comic book turtles that were in black and white and they were super gritty and edgy. Yes. And they had the 80s cartoon turtles who were these like absolute airheads Mm -hmm. and like three or four more different iterations that are are all real world iterations interacting with each other. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. That sounds awesome. I wish I could remember the name of it Mm. because like Krang had done something to break the bounds and it was pre like spider-verse too yeah where you got to watch all these different iterations of the turtles interact with each other i am sure that the old tmnt cartoon has been visited by the sock fairy it's just like no question it's it's (laughs) another one of these kind of can't be as bad as he-man because nothing is as bad as (laughs) he-man having watched some of those i couldn't stand them as an adult but nothing can be quite as bad But yeah, I do remember, I think I've talked about this before, but Mm -hmm. I do remember comparing Robotech to He-Man or G.I. Joe, watching them at the same time Mm -hmm. and being really drawn to the one that actually tried to have a continuing story. Yeah. And even as like, you know, whatever, a fifth grader or something being like, this one is better. I can't really put my finger on why, but it like is doing character arcs. Now I can look back and be like, character yeah, arcs. like that's obvious. World building, all of mm-hmm. these sorts of things, which, you know, Robotech has that really cool history where they just bought two different seasons of two different shows and redubbed them to be the same show and in America. to make them fit together yeah. mm-hmm. and doing uh, Macross or whatever it was. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, there was a reason why Robotech was the holy grail for me as a mm-hmm. kid to try to watch because it was so much more intelligent yeah. and mature in ways that at the time I couldn't quite yeah. say why. I mean, I would have pointed to the fact that in G.I. Joe, a missile hits a tank and everyone climbs out right before the missile hits. And I'm like, I understand. Even as a kid, I'm like, I know you don't want to show people dying, but come on, that's stupid. And in Robotech, it just blows up. And I'm like, whoa. And they go, oh, they blew up a tank. Everyone died in there. Mm. Um, yeah, but... I mean, I've watched Star Wars. I know that people get shot in movies. It's okay. I'm playing Mario and I'm stomping on turtles' heads. They're not getting up after that. They get squished. <laughs> they like, get squished. I do remember, since we're talking about 90s cartoons, mm-hmm. I remember watching Pokemon when it first came out. Oh, see, I missed Pokemon entirely. Well, it's because I had my sister who's mm-hmm. five years younger than me. And I know you've got younger sisters as well, maybe yes, right in the same age. No, mine are 10 and 12 years younger than me. Oh, so, so yeah. they would have missed it as well. Mm-hmm. And so my sister, when I was in college, she was still in you know high school, junior high, and watching Pokemon, and I would watch it with her. And so, you know, years later, when I realized Pokemon had become this massive, like, Mm -hmm. global phenomenon, 
it is to date still the largest brand worldwide yeah. of entertainment that blew my mind because it was just this goofy show I used to watch with, you know, my sister. Yeah, I miss the video games, right? Because I think the first one's late 90s. Yeah. And like I saw a Reddit meme the other day. It's like, you can tell how old someone is by their favorite Pokemon game and list them. And then there's like <laughs> this sad spot where I'm like, oh, I'm too old to have a favorite I'm too Pokemon old to have game. have one. Like, uh, yeah. Like I've played Pokemon Go mm-hmm. and I have Pokemon Unite now, which is, you know, League of Legends, but with Pokemon, which mm. frankly took them way too long to yes. come up with that. That was an obvious, they should have done that years ago, but. That's the Pokemon company. I mean, I, mm-hmm. the obvious you should have done this years ago is like, that's their catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but they did augmented reality before almost anyone else did, right? We got to give them credit for what? that. Pokemon Go? Pokemon Go. When Pokemon Go came out, the number one thing I heard people saying is, why didn't you do this 10 years ago? Why is it taking forever? Who who was saying that? No I, one was saying yes, that. Yes, they were. They were totally saying. Did the technology for Pokemon Go exist 10 years ago? I know that it was yeah. based on uh, Ingress. Yeah, it was. It, so but, what they weren't saying, but what they were saying is, why haven't we had a phone game? That we can okay. raise Pokemon on and yes. trade with each other. Obvious, yes. Granted, they did. You are correct in that. They did work in that AR thing. But Pokemon Go, people play it because they want to have Pokemon on their phone and mm-hmm. show their Pokemon to people and trade them. Oh, yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. the whole AR thing is probably what made it lasting, right? That's what's made it interesting yeah. and given it a new kick. And so credit is due. But you are correct that at some point it should have occurred to someone To let us have, you know, little Pokemon Tamagotchis on our phone for crying out loud. But, you know, that's how they are. How's that, Ben? (laughs) 